prayer, prayer. What an amazing, incredible, difficult, challenging, mysterious, confusing thing prayer is. And the Bible is full of prayer. From first page to last prayer, page, there's prayer throughout. And uh, it's about conversation with God. Right. That's what prayer is. It's talking to God. Conversation is God. We as created beings speaking to our creator. Mm. We as children speaking to our heavenly father. Right. So... How difficult could that be? How difficult could it really be, should it really be, to talk to the person who loves you the most in all of history? Surely that shouldn't be difficult. And yet, many of us, and I put myself very firmly in this category, often struggle to feel that I'm being effective in prayer, that I'm making any headway in prayer, etc., etc., I don't know, maybe I'm on my own in that category today, but that's certainly how I feel sometimes. And then I look at scripture, and it describes prayer as being a characteristic of God's people. So in Acts 2.42, in those heady early days of the church, we read this. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Prayer was a hallmark of the life of the early church. They were devoted to it. They had a culture of prayer amongst them. And as you know, and has been referenced a number of times already this morning, this year we felt God speak very clearly to us about making prayer a priority. That 2023 is going to be a year when Jubilee Church saturates itself in prayer. When we pursue prayer with a, a renewed energy, a renewed vigour, a new, renewed determination to seek God's face. And we develop a culture amongst us, deepen that culture amongst us of being devoted to prayer. And part of this is what I'm doing now. So launching this new series, this new preaching series about prayer. And we've called it Praying With... dot dot dot, And you can see the title was up there, um, called Praying With Abraham. That's where we're going to start. But this series is going to run through the whole year. The first Sunday of each month, we're going to do Praying With Someone as we look at a, a passage of scripture. And that will launch our week of prayer each month. And Jody will be in touch with lots of exciting things um, for this week. And you'll see the sorts of things that we've got going on. And we're also going to have a focus on this series as we gather over the summertime as well. But the idea really of the series is to take a tour through the pages of Scripture. To look at how the men and women whose lives are laid out for us in the Bible, how they prayed. How they conversed with God. And so we're going to meet Abraham and Moses, and Hannah and Mary, and David and Daniel, and Solomon and Hezekiah, and Paul and the early church. We're going to meet all of those in this series. And we're going to look at how they were prompted to pray, 
what they actually prayed for and what happened when they did pray. Because as a church, we're serious about taking up the challenge of 2 Chronicles 7, 14 and 15, which say this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. That's what's in store for us, Jubilee, in 2023. And so we're going to begin with praying with Abraham. But before we read the passage, I'd love us to pray. So we gather, as you commanded us to do, Lord, in your presence, the people of God calling on the name of the Lord together. And would you open up scripture to us this morning? Lord, this is about you. This is about your glory. This is about your purposes for your people in your world. And so we surrender ourselves to you afresh, just as we've sung of your glory. So now, would we see your glory in the pages of scripture? Would you stir our hearts to be uh, inclined to draw near to you in prayer? Lord, teach us through this example of Abraham, of how it is we can pray, how it is we can dwell in your presence. Amen. Amen. So praying with Abraham. Abraham is an absolutely pivotal figure in the story of our faith and in the story of God's people. He's so important. Um, He was known as a friend of God and uh, God made a covenant, a kind of promise agreement with him. Um, And Abraham became the father of the nation of Israel. And so he's, he's really, really important. And this story that we're going to look at, in the run up to it, three strangers arrive at Abraham's tent. And as a good person in living in the Middle East at that time would, and in fact as we should, he hosts them. He opens up his tent to them and uh, provides food. And as they're talking, they speak promises over Abraham's life. They say to him that in a year's time, he will have a son. And you know the story, Sarah laughs because she is well into her 90s, as in Abraham. It's just humanly impossible for that to be the case. And the meal draws to an end, and then we read this. So Genesis chapter 18, and we're going to read verses 16 through to the end of the chapter. Then the men rose up from there and looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham was walking with them to send them off. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him, so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. 
And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me. And if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom, while Abraham was still standing before the Lord. Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place on their account. And Abraham replied, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I am but dust and ashes. Suppose the 50 righteous are lacking five. Will you destroy the whole city because of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. He spoke to him yet again and said, suppose 40 are found there. And he said, I will not do it on account of the 40. Then he said, oh, may the Lord not be angry and I shall speak. Suppose 30 are found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the 20. Then he said, Oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak only this once. Suppose 10 are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the ten. As soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed and Abraham returned to his place. That is some conversation with God, isn't it? And uh, whew, I'm just feeling the weight of it, actually. We're going to try and dig into some of this. But we tread on holy ground here this morning. We really do. I mean, it falls into two parts. It starts with this monologue that God has. And then it switches into this dialogue between God and Abraham. But in this monologue, in verses 17 to 19, what precious insight there is within those few verses. It's the only place in the Bible where we hear God speaking to himself. And he's discussing with himself whether to let Abraham into the secret place. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? 
since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him, so he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring about upon Abraham what he's spoken to him. It seems to me that God knows exactly what's going to happen over the course of the next 24 hours what the fate of Sodom is. But he wants to bring Abraham in so that Abraham knows, so that Abraham sees. He's already chosen Abraham. If we look back to Genesis 12 and verses 1 to 3, the Lord said to Abraham, go forth from your country, from your relatives, father's house to the land I'll show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, make your name great. And you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. You see, God went on from there and made a covenant with Abraham. The sign of circumcision. The promises around him. He, God, before chapter 18, has already chosen Abraham. Already said he'd be the father of nations. Already said that the peoples of the earth would be blessed through him. And God reiterated that promise again and again and again. Read chapter 12, read chapter 15, read chapter 17. He does it after as well, read chapter 22. And what does Abraham do? He believes in faith and it's credited to him as righteousness. God made a covenant, a promise agreement with Abraham. And here in this monologue, we see, I think, the fruit of that. He wants... God wants Abraham to step into the destiny that he's been called to, that's been prepared for him, to be this father of a great and mighty nation that blesses all the nations of the earth. Abraham has been chosen, and his descendants are going to walk in righteousness and justice and follow the way of the Lord. And because of that promise, because of that covenant, God in discussion with himself, decides to allow Abraham in to see what he's about to do. How is Abraham going to respond? And so we get into this incredible dialogue that God kicks off in verse 20. The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great and their sin is exceedingly grave. And so I'm on my way to find out how bad it is, to see for myself now, God is all-knowing, okay? He knew what was going on there. But, like any good judge, he wants to see the evidence for himself. And so he heads on down there. He's heard what is happening. It has come up before him. And the words echo Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5 where God saw the wickedness of mankind. And what happened there? He sent a flood to destroy the world. And so when God says to Abraham, the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is exceedingly grave, by speaking in those terms, God is expecting Abraham to realise that if he finds it to be the case in Sodom and Gomorrah, that the sin is like that, he will bring his judgment and destruction. 
Judgment must follow sinfulness. And so what God offers here to Abraham is an invitation. An invitation to prayer. An invitation to intercede. An invitation to come into the holy place and talk with God. Here is an opportunity laid out before Abraham to step into his destiny, to prove his faith for what it's worth and to prove God for who he is. And Abraham takes up the invitation. And prayer always begins like this, with God issuing an invitation and us deciding whether we step into it or not. And I love these next couple of verses. The other two visitors, because there were three visitors, remember, the Lord and two angels, they're described in verse 1 of chapter 19. The other two visitors move off. But Abraham, verse 22, was still standing before the Lord. I like to think that he's kind of circled around and blocked the Lord's path. The other two can wander off, but he's saying, no, I'm still standing before the Lord. This is the moment. And Abraham draws near. Verse 23. God has opened up the possibility of intercession. And Abraham draws near. God invited. Abraham said, yes. Are there not echoes of Eden here? The garden with God walking and Adam and Eve walking with him in his presence. The creator on earth with his creation. But the incredible thing is that each of us is issued with the same invitation. Will you come on in and speak with me? That's the invitation. That's the invitation he's issued to us as Jubilee for 2023. Will you come on in? Wow. Through Jesus, we both have access to the Father through the Spirit. So what are we going to do with that access? We're going to respond in faith. We're going to linger in his presence. We're going to seek his face. We're going to intercede. We're going to pray. So Abraham draws near and says yes to the invitation, but then he actually speaks. My word, how he speaks. Mm -hmm. Did you notice his boldness, his audacity, the way this is the righteous judge of the whole earth? Who is Abraham to question him? Surely, if God's decided, then you should just submit. Okay, off you go then, God, do your thing. Isn't that faith? Surrendering to the righteous, sovereign God and his perfect choices? Well, yes and no. Yes, it is. 
but it's also being prepared to take the character and nature of God and apply faith in asking, but does it have to be so? That's faith, that's courage, that's boldness. Yes, there's sin, but does it have to be so that you destroy that? What if there are 50 people there? Does it have to be so? But he prays with persistence as well. He goes from 50 mm -hmm. to 45. Mm -hmm. God does an amazing bit of mathematics in there, if you look at it carefully. He does the subtraction. <laughs> to 40, to 30, to 20, to 10. How dare he keep going? Wow. He refers to himself as dust and ashes. He says, I'm speaking, but can I speak again? He asks, he asks again, he asks again and again. Yeah, I heard what you said about 40, but I was just wondering about 30. I wonder, when did you last ask again and again and again? I know you said you would heal. Mm -hmm. Will you heal again? Mm -hmm. I know I just prayed for comfort for that friend, but would you bring comfort again? I know I just prayed for provision, but I need some more. Mm -hmm. You did say it was daily bread, and so I ask again. Yes, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Surely the audacity, the boldness, the persistence of Abraham in this passage is a lesson for us. Surely it must be a provocation to the characteristic of our prayer. Aggressive, going after God kind of prayer. But before we get the wrong idea and go about just throwing out bold, persistent claims for this, that or the other, we should note some other things as well. Abraham's prayer is based on the character of God, his righteousness and his justice. From Abraham's interactions with God from over the years, he draws near to God and he knows God. He knows the character of the one that he speaks to as he prays. That's really important. Yeah. Really important. Verse 23. Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? That the wicked need to be punished is not up for debate. That's not the issue. The wicked need to be punished. Sin deserves wrath. But Abraham's angle is, surely it can't be right to treat the righteous in the same way as the wicked. That's just not just, is it? And so he asks God for mercy for all because of 50. Shall not the judge of the earth do right? He is hoping beyond hope that God will stay his hand, even though the city as a whole deserves judgment, 
He's hoping that God will extend his mercy, extend his patience, extend his favour on that city. Sat behind Abraham's prayer is the idea that maybe the presence of enough righteous people in that city would provide them with a stay of execution, literally. An extension of the time period available for them to respond to God. A bit longer for the righteousness to work its way through the city that wickedness may be dealt with. That they may come to repentance and therefore themselves be spared from the wrath of God. Just some more time. Abraham knows that because his God is merciful and just, he can call on God to do that. He can ask God to stay his hand and relent for now. Abraham's prayer is rooted in the character of God, in his justice, his righteousness and his mercy. And I think that to pray effectively, we need to know God's character. Tom did such a wonderful job for us last week talking about worship. And what was his first pillar of worship was knowing God. Prayer is an outworking of our worship. And a pillar of that is knowing God, knowing his character. It's on the basis of knowing who God is that Abraham is able to pray boldly and persistently. Audaciously coming before God in the hope that he will display his mercy. God's character. We've got to know God if we're going to step into the holy place and pray effective prayers. But we should also note, not just the basis of intercession, which is God's character, but also the focus of the intercession, the content, if you like, of his prayer. Abraham here is praying for the nations. It's worth just taking a little step back, really, at this point. You see, Sodom was a city nearby where Abraham was dwelling. It wasn't filled with God's people. Aside from the obvious fact of the the sin and the wickedness and the evil which abounded in that place, they worshipped other gods. They had no thought for God Almighty. They were potentially the enemy. In fact, if you look back to Genesis chapter 14, there'd been this war between nine different city-states and their kings. Five v four. And they had this huge battle. And Abraham has to wade in and come to the rescue, on the side it may be noted, of Sodom. But each of these city-states was an independent entity with their own king, their own fighting force. They were operating like a mini-nation, the Sodomites, the Gomorrahites, etc. And each of those people groups believed in various gods, the gods of the hills, the gods of the wind and the storm and the harvest and fertility, a god of war, god of a particular tribe, a particular location. Each god, in their thinking, had their own remit and was able to operate within certain parameters. And so they would call on one or other of these gods as and when they needed. 
Abraham's God was different. Abraham's God was not limited by tribal boundaries, by geological features or inclement weather systems. Abraham's God was sovereign. Abraham's God was the judge of the whole earth. That's how he addressed him. And so it made complete sense to Abraham to pray for another nation, another people group, another city, and call on God for mercy. Of course it did. Why? Because he was God of the nations. And not only that, but remember that promise from Genesis 12, all the nations of the earth would be blessed through Abraham. So it was his job to call blessing on the nations. They couldn't do it themselves, but Abraham could call on God to bless the nations. And it's almost here um, in this story of Abraham doing what Bernice encouraged us to do earlier. To remind God of his promises. Remember what you said about blessing the nations. Here's your opportunity. Stay your hand. Spare Sodom. Bless that nation. Bless that city. But right at the centre of this is that God's heart is for the nations. Again, from first page to last page of scripture, the nations are there. Yes, he chooses one particular people, one particular family, in order to bless the whole earth. And we are beneficiaries of that. I think to pray effectively, we need to know God's heart. We need to know what his passion is. We need to seek him to find out what is on his heart. And the nations are very much part of that. The nations, I think, should feature very highly in our prayer lives because they feature very highly in God's plans. The nations are full of the lost. It's why when we gather together, we often spend time praying for the nations. And I think we're going to be doing that this evening. For me... Pretty much every day I pray for a particular nation or people group. That's just part of my habit. Since I was a teenager and had Operation World by Patrick Johnson, you know, big thick tome of a book with loads of facts and figures in it and some prayer points. Mm -hmm. Nowadays I tend to use the Open Doors prayer diary. It takes me round the world to places where people are persecuted for their faith. Or I'm praying about current affairs. I believe it's in line with God's heart the nation should be something that we regularly pray about as we gather regularly take before God as we're invited in to draw near we'll say God what about this nation where is your kingdom of righteousness and peace in this place so what happened well, the story continued into chapter 19. God goes on his way. The two angels go down to Sodom and have an interesting evening. And they find that the sin is truly as horrific as was described. They end up warning Lot, who is Abraham's nephew, 
and his wife and daughters and their fiancés to get out because destruction is coming, judgment is coming. Some of the family do go, some choose not to. You can read the story. And God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. And we read this in chapter 19. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew in the ground. Now Abraham arose early in the morning and he went to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He stood again in the place of intercession, in the place of encounter before God, in the place of invitation and response. And he looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley and he saw and behold, the smoke of the land ascended like the smoke of a furnace. What must Abraham have thought in that moment? There weren't even ten in that whole city, there weren't even 10. How bad must it have been? Does prayer not work? Is the sovereign Lord of all the earth? What? Should I have carried on? Should I have gone for five? Or for three? Or for one? I don't know what he thought. But surely his heart must have broken. All those lost souls. And for us, looking back 4,000 years, surely it leaves us with the inevitable conclusion that none are righteous, not even one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There was no hope in that city. There's no hope in this city. There's no hope in any city that anyone can be saved by man's righteousness. Unless. If only there'd been one. One righteous one. One righteous one. Who somehow would be able to turn away the wrath of God. Somehow, through some means, that one righteous one could do that. Hmm. Of course, the good news is that there was one righteous one. That's why we're here this morning. You see, all of us deserved the same destruction that came upon Sodom because of our sin. And around the communion table, which is what we're going to do now, we can celebrate the fact that we know that the one righteous one satisfied God's wrath. And so we get to live in the freedom of that. God's wrath was satisfied on the cross as Jesus died for us. If only there were one righteous one. <laughs> And so we're going to finish by breaking bread 
and uh, drinking wine together. And as we do this, we do it to remember Jesus' sacrifice. We do it to remember the fact that his broken body and his shed blood were sufficient. Mm. And now we can stand before God, just as Abraham did, and we can intercede for the nations on the basis of who Jesus is, his righteousness and justice. We can intercede for the nations on behalf, we can intercede on behalf of the nations on the basis of the cross. So Father, we do take this invitation seriously. As your church, as we head into our first week of prayer this year, we take it seriously, the fact that we're invited in. And uh, Father, we pray that there would be increasing revelation of who you are, that we would get to know you increasingly as we travel through this year. And Father, that our heart would be aligned with your heart, that our passions would be matched up with your passions, that your priorities would be the things that are our priorities as we encounter you, Jesus, as we call on your name. So help us, we pray. We thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the life that is issued from it, the fact that you defeated death and we now get to live life with you. You are wonderful and we could go on and on and on about this. Amen.